Pod. Pod. Hello and a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> This is PodBod, the series all about the craft and business of podcasting. If you're a first-time listener for the new year, then welcome. We're so pleased to have you. And for long-time listeners, welcome back. I hope you've all had a brilliant, brilliant start to 2024. This is a very good episode to get to know more of what we're about because we're diving through the back catalogue to give you a little slice of our favourite episodes from 2023. So joining me to take this trip down PodPod's memory lane, I mean it's still only a baby, are Adam Shepherd and Reem Makari. Hi guys, Happy New Year. Hello, Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Hi, hi, hi. hi. Um, so before we get started, I'm really looking forward to this one, I have to say, because it's a great chance for us to give ourselves a little pat on the back because we did we did well guys we got through a lot this year we mm-hmm. interviewed some incredible podcasters and i feel like we've all learned so much and grown as a team as a podcast and it's just quite nice to take a moment to reflect if there's anything that 2023 has taught us about podcasts it is literally that anything can happen so looking ahead I'm really interested to know what can we all expect to hear more of or less of in the podcast of 2024, Reem. Well, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more podcasters and podcast publishers looking at subscriptions as a good revenue stream because it's a bit more of a sustainable way to make an income because you're really leveraging that connection that the fans have with the podcast hosts and the loyalty that they have as well Um, and they're willing to pay that extra money so that they can get that type of content ad free or they can get uh, some exclusive content and some more personalized stuff as well from podcasters so on Patreon, for example, podcasters can be as creative as they want and they can really offer things that are a bit more personal that people will be interested in. But at the same time, you see some publishers like The Economist, for example, launched a subscription option in 2023 and they know that their content and their journalism is good and people are willing to listen to that. So they are paying in order to get that type of content. Um, And with the ad market relying on how the world is at the moment and how it can go up and down at any second, I think subscriptions are a much better way to try and look at making an income. That's a really good point. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about subscriptions later in the show. What about you, Adam? In 2024, what do you think it's going to bring? So I think one of the biggest trends that we're going to see this year is counterintuitively more celebrities getting into podcasts. We had No, say it ain't so. Well, here's the thing. We had a big wave uh, kind of a couple of years ago of celebrities getting parachuted in to podcasts as like a big name mm. for the front. And that largely didn't result in, in much traction for these podcasts. I mean, I, I haven't seen hide nor hair of Kim Kardashian's true crime podcast, for example, uh, since oh, it Sorry, but that was a thing? That was absolutely a thing. Uh, Spotify, How did that pass me by? Well, because it largely sank without trace from, from what I can tell. <laughs> uh, and we've had a number of similar podcasts where there's a big celebrity name on the front, you know, launches to, to great fanfare and then goes precisely nowhere. But what we've seen in 2023 is the start of a trend of celebrities getting into podcasts in a more sustainable, authentic and purposeful way. So getting into podcasts on topics that they actually 
you know care about and are engaged with and and passionate about so think of examples like smartless wiser than me with julia louis dreyfus those podcasts have been really successful i think because the the big names fronting them are actually passionate about the topics and it's it's something that they're driving and what you get is you get the the name value of that celebrity but you've still got that authenticity and that passion which is really what sustains a podcast over the long term you know it's really obvious when you have a podcast that the host just isn't that fussed about and Mm -hmm. it switches listeners off very very quickly when you have that authenticity it really it really comes through and i think stuff like smartless is a really good example of that and i think we're going to see more celebrities tapping into their own sort of personal passions and kind of hobby horses to sort of leverage that effect Okay, so I am going to hold you to these predictions, by the way. We're going to revisit them at the end of 2024. So I really hope you're right. Otherwise, you're going to look so silly. Um, Let's take a look back now at some of the brilliant interviews that we've heard this year. And as I said, we've had some exceptional people on, some really, really memorable people that we've had a chance to meet IRL as well as over Zoom. Mm. Reem, let's start with you. What was your standout interview from 2023? So my standout interview was the one that meant the most to me and the one that actually had an impact on my own podcasting career and growth. And that was with Sangeeta Pillai. Um, and I, I, I love, first of all, I love the episode and I love her as a person. I think she's an amazing person, but during the episode, we spoke about accents and, uh, I remember it was a moment that between the three of us, we, cause I did the interview with you, Rihanna, and the three of us shared a moment where we all kind of related to this. And I spoke about my experience with, um, having a fear over my accent and not wanting to or 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 feeling like I can't be a proper podcaster because I don't sound the same. And Sangeeta was talking about her experience and how she used to try to change her accent in the beginning to sound a bit more English. And then she realized that actually, you know, this is something that makes me unique and something that is that makes me authentic. And her entire podcast is built on authenticity and creating a safe space for other South Asian women to come on and express, you know, what, what their life experiences are like. And I think her being her authentic self was just really amazing to see and it really inspired me and and I was listening back to the clip and the way that I was speaking during that clip and comparing to the way that I'm podcasting now and I could I could even like hear the growth in in the way that that has changed the way that I podcast you know I I say I like a lot more uh probably do to be fair um (laughs) I actually haven't noticed you doing that (laughs) But I just I, I think that that really was a shift for me where I decided to actually try and be a bit more confident with podcasting. And I just thought it was very inspirational. And I think that that what she's done to me, you know, that's something that I hope I could do to other people as well, where, you know, just because you're not English doesn't mean that you can't have a podcast in the UK. Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't be a, a successful podcaster. So that was that will always be something that just 
stays with me. Um, and I met her in person uh, at the British Podcast Awards. And when I met her in person, it felt like a full circle moment almost. Um, and we spoke about PopPod and we spoke about her experience. And, and she was just the sweetest, nicest person ever and it was it was amazing to see her and I really hope that that's a connection that could you know go on for 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 a longer time as well well let's take a listen now to your favorite bit ream of the interview with Sangeeta Pillai from March 2023 I'm really passionate about podcasting I feel like I've found my thing you know, mm, it's yeah. like, I feel so, and I don't know if you feel the same. I feel like, oh my God, here's the thing that, that I can make my own. And, you know, coming from the background that I come from, I grew up in India. I moved here about what, 18, 19 years ago. So I'm not from this world entirely. I haven't kind of gone to Oxbridge. I don't speak, you know, I've got a mix of an Indian accent and a British accent and this random mix of, I don't know how many accents, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I can be myself on a podcast. I don't have to be anybody else. I don't have to sound like anyone else. And I think for me, that's probably why I feel very passionately about podcasting as like I can, it can be my space and my medium. And I think for exactly that reason, I think for listeners, it's this intimate space in your ears. Like how much closer can you be to another human being? You know, you might be kind of making a cup of tea or going for a walk and I'm in your ear talking to you. Most people listen to podcasts in that way on headphones, you know, when you're doing something else. And I think therefore we as podcasters have a really deep and quite intimate relationship with our listeners. And we are saying a lot of things also that are personally for us, like I talk about, like I was saying my mental health or whatever, you know, that are things that are difficult for me. So that's how we build this relationship as a podcaster and a listener. And it's kind of, it's not one way. I think it's, it's, it's a connection. And I think within that safe space, and because it's not kind of like a TV show or a radio show is projected out into the world, a podcast, I feel like exists in this beautiful stillness between a listener and a podcaster. That's how I always think of it. When I'm recording, I don't think of it as this, this thing that's going out to hundreds of thousands of people. I think of it as just me and this guest and there's one person listening, you know? And therefore, that intimacy continues, I think. And I wonder if my guests pick up on that as well. And therefore, it is almost as if me, the guest and a listener, were sitting down having a cup of chai and talking about something deeply personal to us. I think that's why it works. One thing that, that stood out to me, there's an episode where you talked about accents mm. and you mentioned it in the conversation about like changing your accent to fit in. Obviously in podcasting, your voice is the most yes. important thing. Did you ever feel pressure in the beginning to kind of change your accent so that you can fit in with other podcasters? Or, or is that something that you actively try to avoid? So it's so funny you should say this. One of the first thoughts or conversations in my own head when I heard myself for the first time. So I recorded that first episode and I remember listening to it and I remember thinking, gosh, I sound so Indian. And then I was like, hang on a minute, Sangeeta, what, what, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Good little self-check-in. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we are picking up these messages all the time. So in my head, there's some conditioning that says, to sound Indian is worse than to sound British, you know? 
So I had to check myself as well because we are products of the world that we live in. So if we're turning on the radio or turning on TV and everybody sounds a specific way and we don't, then there's that, oh, am I less than, you know, am I okay? You know, am I, am I allowed to do this? You know? So I had to have a conversation with myself and I remember doing this very distinctly to say, yes, I do sound Indian and yes, that's amazing and that's okay. And that's going to be my podcast. I'm going to be exactly who I am. And I think that is very, very valuable. So I, with my Indian, British, Mumbai, Bangalore, Kerala accent, will talk about all the things I've experienced in my life, living in India, then moving to the UK and all of it. And that then resonates with other people who also come from mixed backgrounds. Because I think in this country is a, is a nation of immigrants. You know, we're all immigrants. I'm a first generation immigrant. Somebody else might be second, third. And we have to create a world where we all feel we can be ourselves, sound like ourselves, and we don't have to pretend to be anybody else. And all of it has equal value in the world you know I was going to ask you Reem actually is that something that you're super aware of because you're you're sort of newer to podcasting but is that something that you think about I was about to say like I think this is very inspiring to like to me and and it's because when I first started listening to myself I would also get kind of embarrassed at the fact that I wouldn't articulate properly or I wouldn't say sentences properly or that my accent is different because my accent is a mix of like Lebanese and also growing up in Abu where there's many different Arabs from different countries and then also moving to the UK and then I would think actually there's a reason I don't speak as articulate as everyone else and it's because I'm, I'm like okay I speak two languages that's something to be proud of I'm like that's I'm not so supposed cool. to be embarrassed of this and I think it's it's anytime I hear someone who has a UK podcast with a different accent is always very inspiring to me because I'm like okay well they're very successful and they don't have a British accent and they're not embarrassed by it and actually they shouldn't be embarrassed by it so then it reminds me to not be embarrassed by my accent so yeah I think it's it's really great and Reem I think that's the beauty of podcasting and I think there are very few places in the world where you can turn up exactly as you are and no one's going to try and tell you you know to change it or be something different and i think that's the real beauty of podcasting and that's i think one of the reasons why i feel so strongly and passionately about it and also for what it's worth as somebody who obviously i work with you reem and listen to you Sangeeta, but just i love hearing what you have to say because it's all about your experiences and your accent informs your experiences it's just telling us another detail about your life yeah absolutely just another nugget of information that's all i think you're an amazing podcaster reem so yeah you should never be embarrassed you should, your voice sounds amazing <laughs> it, it makes me very interested because i heard the lebanese in your voice yeah. like, oh how interesting and i you know i'll Outside of the podcast, I would have asked you like, oh, where did you grow up? And tell me more about your life. <laughs> Hear me whenever I get back from conversation, talking with my parents, and then that's when the real thick Lebanese accents start. I get like that over the phone. If I, if I get a call from India, suddenly I become more Indian. Like, hello. <laughs> That was Sangeeta Palai from the Masala podcast. Adam, as somebody who wasn't in that interview, what was that like listening back and hearing kind of Reem's thoughts on how she's progressed as a podcaster? So I think it's a fantastic interview. I think they, it covered a lot of really interesting ground. 
one of my sort of big takeaways from that interview is the importance of kind of passion and authenticity in podcasting and you know going back to your point around the fact that you don't need to have a certain accent to get into podcasting I think it also underscores the fact that you don't necessarily need to have any background in you know presenting or uh, anything Mm -hmm. like that to get into podcasting and in fact going into podcasting with that that drive and that passion can in some cases be better I think than if you're super super polished and super refined with that very sort of BBC kind of presenting vibe I think having that kind of indie DIY vibe to your podcast I think can really help bring that that authenticity across and that's something that I think Sangeeta has done really well. I mean, of course, the podcast sounds fantastic, but she makes a, a big deal of the fact that, you know, it's all sort of bootstrapped. Um, you know, she got some funding from Spotify for the first one, but it's still, I think, pretty much just her doing it, which I think is so impressive. So, so impressive. So thank you so much, Reem. What a great pick. Adam, what about you from 2023? What was your highlight? So my highlight, and uh, this will come as no surprise to long-time listeners, because I feel like I reference it probably at least once a month, is uh, the (laughs) Tennis Podcast with David Law, and specifically their approach to subscription strategies, uh, because it is, I think for my money, one of the most creative approaches to subscriptions that we've seen on PodPod particularly their kind of uh, pet subscription or pet sponsorship I was absolutely blown away by this because it's such a it's such a clever approach and it it really gives subscribers a unique benefit to to their subscription it's a really good example of podcasters having the commitment to making their show just out of sheer passion even if they don't mm, have a solid yeah. revenue strategy in place. And putting that groundwork in is really important for building a loyal audience that does keep coming back again and again and again. I love this episode, I think especially because it was an episode that I wouldn't necessarily listen to. I wouldn't necessarily listen to a tennis podcast. And yet I got so much out of hearing David Law talk about making the tennis podcast so here's adam's highlight from david law on the tennis podcast from february 2023 the first five years of producing this show we made no money at all we we lost money oh wow um and i would have been I bought the equipment that we were using at the time. It's it's a little more sophisticated now than it was then, but it yeah, it was straight out of our pockets in order to fund the show. And my view was always, let's see if we can build an audience. Let's see if we can make a show that people enjoy. And if we can, then maybe we can figure out a way to get it sponsored or I don't know. One of the reasons I called it the Tennis Podcast was I thought, oh, a brand might come in and call themselves the such and such bank tennis podcast. 
It never ah. happened. Um, so that didn't work. But I mean, that that was that was the initial idea. As it happens, I think the tennis podcast, as a brand name in its own right, is what's become useful to us because that's what people search for when they want to find a podcast about tennis. Um, <laughs> but then, about five or six years ago, when we were realising we're literally making no money at all. Um, but we do seem to have an audience that cares about what we're doing now. We're, we're, we're getting emails on a daily basis from people saying how much they enjoy it. And, and I never had that about, say, commentary work for BBC Radio. That, that just doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> maybe it's because it's not very good. Um, but, That'll but, be um, it, yeah. but, I mean, the truth is that it's that kind of medium. I'm sure you've heard that from many of your contributors. I, I remember hearing John Sopel talk about it. Mm. Alistair Campbell's talked about it, about mm. get kind of the, the connection that, um, that podcasts have with their audience. And we actually, for I think about four years, we ran a Kickstarter on an annual basis to say, right, if we can raise this amount of money, then we can keep the show going weekly and daily during the Grand Slams. That still kind of very much around our other work, but that's what we decided we would do. We'd do a crowdfunding operation. And then a couple of years later, when we first handed Matt Roberts a microphone and everybody loved him, we said, well, if we can raise a bit more, we'll give this guy a job. He can work for us full-time after university. And they hit that target as well. And so we just kept increasing these targets. And then we said, oh, we'll take him to Australia with us if you if you put in this much. And they did it. Then we got to a point where we thought, we cannot keep asking these people for more money. You know, we the same people. We cannot do that. That's It's not fair on them. Um, and it's also just doesn't really feel sustainable. And we, we had a lot of chats with other people. And um, some of the people that were the biggest help to us were those that run the cycling podcast. Richard Moore, who sadly passed away a year ago, and who's, who was such a great help to me and, and gave me such invaluable advice, and Lionel Burney. And, and they'd got a, a subscription system, a little similar to Patreon, but with a supporting cast. And they heartily recommended them. And they said, look, we think that if you provide something in addition to um, to your regular show, people will be more likely to to get behind it. And you're not just constantly having to ask for more money. You're just providing a service. And if people want it, they pay for it. And so that's what we did. And about a year and a half ago, we we started a, a subscription system called Friends of the Tennis Podcast. Um, and people pay either £5 a month or £50 a year to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. And for that, we I think we produced last year about 25 to 30 no maybe 30 additional podcasts over the course of the year and that was those were q and a's with us um we, we we run a series called tennis relived in which we we, we go back in time and and cover a story from the past or a, a great match from the past and and that all came from the pandemic when we didn't have tennis for six months and we invented tennis relived as a way to kind of keep going and producing shows about matches that have happened 50 years ago or, or people that have been important and, and, and that sort of thing. But then we also have other elevated premium categories. If people want to have a shout-out from us on the show, they pay more. If they want to introduce a show and have their name in this kind of opening credits sort of thing. And we've got we've got 50 people a year that, that actually pay for their pet to be our mascot for an episode. <laughs> 
I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, and this, uh, that was Catherine's idea. And I said, Catherine, that is never going to happen. <laughs> but sure enough, they sell out every year. We have 50 weekly episodes and 50 people say, I want my pet to be your mascot for that episode. And uh, hypothetically, you know, how much would that cost? Yeah, asking for a friend. Well, all of those 50 went for £200 each. Wow. Um, you know, it's, we do it all through supporting cast. It's all on the public platform there. And then, then there are people who pay more to be our personal mascots. We've got those as well. These are pets, by the way. And, uh, and, and then there's uh, people that can be guest editors of a show. Guest editors? How does that work? I mean, effectively, what the, what they're doing is they're uh, we're presenting them with a few ideas for our Tennis Relived shows, i.e. Uh, uh, a study of Monica Seles' career or, or Venus Williams or the day that Jimmy Connors reached the semifinals of the US Open, age 39. And there are people who love these story ideas and, and they'll choose one and then they'll they'll come up with a load of points they would love to see covered in the show or people would they'd love to hear from. And then off we go and we, we try to speak to people that were were there in the stadium that day or or um, commentating or or people who've got memories of it. And, and, and we also send Matt off to, uh, he, he loves his research, so we send him off to the Wimbledon Library and he just gets his head down and starts reading up on these subjects. And uh, and we, we produce, it's kind of like an oral history, I suppose, versions of, of uh, accounts from people that were there on the day, plus our own discoveries as we research them. There are a lot of people that can't or wouldn't want to pay extra money for a podcast or to help a podcast but there are some people that that really it really matters to them you know we we get so many emails really from particularly during the pandemic of people who were going through a tough time and we were part of their company the part of the way of getting through it and and i know that that's the case for me with other podcasts i've i've felt that i've lent on those voices in my head when I might have been struggling. And the whole business model is one I think of goodwill. It's about we will produce for you on a weekly and a daily basis at the Grand Slams, no matter what. I will be falling asleep on the keyboard, but we will produce the show for you. <laughs> and in return, you help us to do it. Um, and you'll get some stuff extra as well. Are there any of those sort of tears that you regret doing? My husband first started his podcast, he promised to send out a sticker for every UK subscriber. And then he found himself having to write thank you notes on the back of stickers for like months and months and months. Um, has, yeah. has any of it, have you ever kind of overshot that? Well, I tell you, I think that that is a, a very, very valid point. Because I, I remember when we first did our initial Kickstarter um, and we were, you know, you're literally trying to think of anything that that people might want. Yes. And ha we'd we'd seen one of the show a year earlier do exactly this thing, and I'd kind of watched what they did, um, and 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 I discovered what not to do as a result of that. <laughs> and what I mean, look, they they did a great job. They raised they raised good good funding, and they did they they did a brilliant job. But one of the things they promised was that they would send a postcard to everybody uh, who paid a certain amount from every Grand Slam tournament. And they were writing, handwriting <laughs> hundreds of postcards and um, sending them from these locations. And some of them weren't getting there. You know, it's not their fault, but they were getting lost in the post and all these sort of things. Um, and, and I just realized 
don't sign up to anything that isn't kind of easy to deliver. Mm. And that meant a shout out on the show. Uh, yes, we will let you pay us to have your pet as our mascot. And all that entails <laughs> is us telling everybody on the podcast that your pet is our mascot. And we will put a picture of your pet in our newsletter that goes out on email. It's not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of work for us, really. So we, we very much um, set out to make it as a, as labour unintensive as possible. <laughs> that is phenomenal. That is hands down my favourite monetization strategy that I have ever heard. Me too. Reem, tennis podcasts, wasn't expecting to love that as much as I did. What about you? I feel like all of us got a real buzz off talking to David Law. I wasn't expecting to love that either. I mean, I have zero interest in tennis, no offense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I recently wrote um, a feature on sports podcasts and why they stand out amongst other traditional media formats. And I think especially this year, we saw a lot more sports podcasts launching. But I think the tennis podcast is a very Mm. good example of you know, you don't you don't need that extra coverage. You know, there there's already radio, there's already TV that's covering all these sporting news events. But with the tennis podcast, what it can offer is that authenticity and more deeper analysis and humor as well. And that's why fans are engaging with sports podcasts and not just other traditional media formats. And I think having that subscription offering as well, they're they're able to have that bonus content too and something that's a bit more personalized that can get them to engage and it's really just about building that community because sports fans are so loyal and engaged and hardcore almost Um, and Mm -hmm. it's the same with podcast fans that are super loyal to their podcast hosts and I think it's just a great merge of those two worlds so I think that (laughs) the tennis podcast is a great example of sports podcasts succeeding and and what they could do and of course the tennis podcast went on to win best sports podcast at last year's british podcast awards it did which was a a lovely lovely. moment yeah it was we were all cheering very loudly (laughs) (laughs) so rihanna what about you what was your standout moment from 2023 well i have picked our chat with Imriel Morgan from Content is Queen because I, I was really moved by just talking to Imriel. I think because she was so open and honest about some of the mistakes that she has made as a podcaster, some of the things that she had no control over uh, as well, which happened to her and how she kind of navigated her way through that. And I think that honesty and that openness is invaluable if you're starting a podcast or if you don't really know much about the business of podcasting, which is obviously what PodPod is all about. Um, And there was time to sort of vent some frustrations about the lack of support from the industry as well and the frustration of being a woman of colour in podcasting. And I think since that we recorded that episode, I have been so aware of what else is going on. I was already very aware, but sort of even more targeted thinking about okay well who are doing it well who who are trying to be more inclusive who are putting their money where their mouths are sort of thing and she makes a really interesting point about kind of congratulating the people who are doing well as well as calling out people who aren't and I so with that in mind I was thinking about you know goal hanger and um, how they still don't have two 
women leading a podcast. They've got started to have more women co-hosting with a man. We've got Marina Hyde and Richard Osman for The Rest is Entertainment, which is a great, great podcast. Um, even there's a there's a podcast with a woman and a dog, and the dog is male. I mean, I know I'm being facetious, <laughs> but come on. Uh, <laughs> but it is really interesting how somebody else's perspective can just click in your own brain, and it just kind of makes you see the world in a slightly different place mm. um so yes imriel morgan from september from content is queen um just just being so brilliant and um very open and honest which i really appreciated i enrolled on to an mba wow because of that or just you just thought this was something you wanted to do anyway. I actually didn't want to do an MBA before that, but um, I have like wild interest in anthropology and public health. So like my <laughs> my interests were very divergent to this, but the MBA purely because I was trying to find ways of understanding how to run a business. At that point, Shout Out Network was making like zero pounds and zero pence. And we were kind of mm-hmm. producing all of these shows. We were getting critical acclaim. People were patting us on the back for our role in like diverse diversity in podcasting mm-hmm. and bringing new audiences in. We got a lot of love and adulation, but nothing really translated into pounds and pence in the bank. And so I was just like, I don't want to ever lose that much money again, I guess for transparency purposes. It was like 20 grand, which for a lot of businesses and brands is not a lot. But for us, we were making no money. I was working part time in like a social media job. My partner's working part time in a social media job. Like We borrowed money from friends and family. So to lose like Mm. their money, plus like all of our savings and like any like I didn't think I had savings, like every everything we had went into that company and went into that festival. So to lose it was like a huge, huge, huge blow. And I was like, I can't do that again. Like I like my body I still have a trauma response thinking about that. So I'm just like, I cannot do that again. And what's the way that I can learn the fastest way to learn how to build a sustainable business? Like for me, an MBA, I know loads of people go into it for like big CEO jobs. I was like, no, I actually just need to learn like accounting. and business. (laughs) So I went into it strictly for knowledge and I got like a, a complete like a free ride for it. Like they they liked my background and what I was doing and thought I was a good candidate. So I got selected and I didn't have to pay the fees and that Fantastic. was an added bonus. So it took me yeah. a little over a year and a half to complete it. And yeah, I, I did learn the basis of business. And actually since running Content is Queen, we've been pretty much profitable ever since. So <laughs> it did work. <laughs> it did work. You mentioned that for one of the partners for or the partner for International Women's Podcast Festival is Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Did you work with any other partners for funding? Was that how you funded the festival? Yeah, we also worked with ACAST. So ACAST was our UK lead. Pinterest was our global lead. I must give a shout out to ACAST because they actually were the sponsor of our very first festival and have actually supported every festival since, except for this year, obviously. So ACOS have been a very consistent partner. Audible as well. Audible is a very consistent partner for us. Probably less on the festivals, but in other in other ways. But yeah, we were quite fortunate that ACOS kind of really believe in what we're doing in terms of getting women into the industry, but also celebrating. And they've got quite a good roster of women in their in their kind of talent wheelhouse. So we've been really fortunate with partners in the past. In the past, we've also had BBC Sounds when they first launched. In fact, I think it was the year that BBC Sounds launched. They kind of also came as as part of the festival. And 
who did we have in the following year? Global did our second women's festival in 2019, Global slash DAX at the time. So we've had really good partners. Um, Spotify has also been a headline sponsor in the past as well. Basically, all of them have been involved <laughs> in some shape or form. And all of them have been really great. I guess what feels important to say or important to recognize is consistency is important for a festival like this or for an event like this. Like it literally cannot exist without that sponsorship, without that backing of the industry or backing of partners. Like we are a team of two full-time employees and, and some freelancers around us. And our team is really strong and mighty and we have big ambitions and big goals, but like ultimately <laughs> we can only do so much as a small team. We need the industry to kind of really say, yes, we believe that this thing should exist and this is how we're going to fund it. But yeah, all of them have been pretty great in their own ways. You posted earlier this year that the International Women's Podcast Festival is being postponed until 2024, I think. That's right. And that's because of lack of funding. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us just what, what happened there? And, and when did you kind of come to the realization that this needs to be postponed and we can't actually support it for this year? Yeah, yeah. that must have been a tough decision. It was a tough decision. The answer to this is kind of multi-layered. So I would say on... I knew from earlier this year, so we announced that it wasn't going to happen in May, but I think I knew from probably February that it was unlikely to happen, given the timelines that we'd need to make something happen in the first place and how the sponsorship conversations were going or not going. Mm. Um, <laughs> I knew really early on, I remained optimistic and hopeful that something would change. And I kind of, in my mind, set a deadline of May as like, if I haven't heard by the beginning of May from anyone, then it's just not going to happen. So I know how to run a very lean festival. So I was like, if we don't get all of the money we need, this is what we can do. This is like our plan C version. Here's our plan A, plan B, plan C. So we have like loads of contingencies in place. I would say the writings on the wall for funding, though, were from last year. Like I said, Pinterest was our global partner. Pinterest is actually a bit of an outlier because it's not an audio Mm. company it's not been known to be in podcasting in that way and ACAST was our second sponsor and then I think very late in the day Amazon Music and Wondery came on board quite close to the actual event date so the writing was on the wall that there was already going to be like there was shifting in budgets and mm. people were choosing to allocate their funding to other events and activations for that year like they explicitly told me they had given their budget to another event. Um, so I was like, huh, wow. that's interesting. That was the first time that event had ever run. This was our third festival that we were kind of seeking out for. So it was a bit of a blow to be like, oh, here's something with a track record that's much wanted and needed within the industry and widely supported by women in the industry and the allies. Why is that just not even just a line item that's just reserved at this point? Um, why have we not done enough? So that was kind of disappointing. So we knew that from last year, it was an uphill battle. And then this year, those conversations kind of went in a similar direction of, yeah, we just don't have the budget for this. We don't have it. And it's like, mm. huh, that's interesting. Because then I then went to the events that they did invest in. And it was like watching burning money. So it was oh like, my God, oh. that must have been so frustrating. Very, very frustrating. And definitely a bit of a slap in the face, especially because some of yeah. those same companies did invite me to that event. And that wow. at the same time, like a week before that had told me, yeah, sorry, we, sorry, we couldn't um, help you out this time. And it's like, 
Mm. Oh no, but you've you've definitely you've definitely spent <laughs> like yeah. you can see it. <laughs> it's on display. <laughs> but it was it was disappointing and I can I can feel how I feel about it. I know that loads of people are very angry on on my behalf. I don't necessarily feel angry about it. I'm just disappointed that it couldn't happen this year, but I think 2024 given that we spoke out and given that other people have spoken out and said they wanted it, I think I'm optimistic that we have something very good planned and something very solid and that we'll probably pull something quite amazing off for 2024. I saw, you know, the response online seemed to be everyone was, as you say, on your behalf, so frustrated, so cross and really sort of felt quite rallying, Mm -hmm. which is always lovely to see. But I suppose how does that transfer to real life help and, you know, actual action? It feels very reassuring and very validating. Uh, I mean, I was, I had six weeks maternity leave for the last festival and then I was back for four weeks to do the festival. And then I had a very leisurely summer with me and this newborn baby. (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would like to preface this, that I went into that festival being like, I am never doing this again. Like I was like freshly postpartum. So I was like, oh, I kind of manifested this not happening because I was just like, in another world last year so I was like "Mm, this is kind of a relief but I also wasn't expecting the level of support that people had for it and Mm. I think it's also coming off the back of other events not happening so she podcast live they had to postpone and cancel for similar reasons a lack of funding and things not quite lining up the way they wanted to and earlier that year and something that made me very viscerally angry was that the Africa Podfest had to cancel um, and they're in February and they had to cancel I think a few weeks before because they just couldn't get the funding that they needed to pull off their festival and that was like so enraging to me but it was also like okay if they can go through the motions and be open about the fact that like they can't make it work mm-hmm. and these are the reasons why in many ways it was it was sad and angry but it was empowering for me to also make like really make a judgment call because I was like okay I was gonna white knuckle through and just push through and just make it work but we probably would have been in a similar position to what I was in with my first festival which is really spending money we don't have to make something happen and it probably not work out because it would be a, a, a step down from what we were able to do last year. Making a decision to pull the plug was hard, but the support has been good. And I feel like if we do do another one, the support that people have said they're gonna that they're gonna give, I think it will come through because they know how mm-hmm. the, the stakes are so high when it doesn't exist. Yeah. That was Imriel Morgan from Content Is Queen talking to us in September um which yeah I absolutely loved listening to her and was very moved by what she had to say Mm. I think it's also really refreshing hearing someone talk candidly about the economics of the podcast industry and particularly the amount of money that she sank into the first event because Mm. it's so rare that people are uh, comfortable enough to talk candidly about the sort of the dollar amounts as it were of sort of missteps but without that it's really difficult to have the context to know how well you're doing and yeah. sort of whether or not you should be you should be worried or you know all of that yeah sort what's of stuff. normal yeah exactly yeah 
I know. It's, I mean, I think it's the same with talking about any, you know, how much you get paid even in any job. Mm. People are so weird about talking about it. And yet just lifting that slight smoke screen can just be so useful mm. in terms of pushing forward and building a better future for podcasting. Yeah. It seems so silly that we don't do it more. Yeah. And even extending that to things like download numbers, you know, talking more openly about the the sort of download numbers that are sort of common in the industry is so so helpful for setting sort of setting expectations one thing that she points out is the importance of consistency um, for podcast platforms and for podcast companies that want to invest in initiatives that have to do with diversity and inclusivity because it's not just about having a one-off investment um, or funding program and then saying that's it that's done I've ticked my diversity box I don't need to do anything else to mm-hmm. help this cause it's more about being consistent over a long period of time and if you don't have the funds to be able to be con- like consistent with very big initiatives all the time just do it in small baby steps but make sure that you're actively doing something throughout like just continue to have it as part of your year strategy and something that's always in the back of your head of how you could be a bit more inclusive for the podcasting industry yes absolutely and also just being able to say actually no we can't do this I found that really useful because it's so tempting especially as a freelancer yes to everything (laughs) just be like no this isn't viable we're gonna have to cancel it I thought that was quite a powerful Mm. message um anyway that is it thank you so much Adam Reem you've brought some brilliant little reminders of what PodPod has done over the past year and that is now it for our special edition of PodPod so from next week it's business as usual throughout 2024 we're going to be bringing you the very best of podcasting talent both on on and off mic to share their knowledge their expertise with you those are all fabulous tidbits that we've just heard and if you're new to the show please do go back and take a listen to everything we have on there we've not had a chance to share all of the great interviews today and trust me there are so many more and while you're there do leave us a review you know we love it little five stars it's great it just gives us a tiny little boost come on it's the new year it's the new you You're great, you're positive, we love you. If you've got any feedback or you have ideas about guests, please do email us. Go onto socials, podpod official, editor at podpod.com. And finally, a massive thank you to every single person that we've had on PodPod in 2023. You literally made the podcast happen, so thank you. The podcast is produced by Ollie Peart for Haymarket Business Media, and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. I'll see you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.